0: Alright, so we've been going through, um, a couple weeks ago we started, well I guess several weeks ago now, we started talking about the, the day of the Lord. Does anybody want to take a stab at giving me a, a summarized definition of the day of the Lord? What is the day of the Lord?
1: It's very dark.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> literally right and figuratively <laughs> lack of light plus very bad stuff what'd you say katrina chaos chaos all right that's a good word to describe it
1: could be a good day
0: <laughs> say it again i said it could be a good day uh, in what sense god's justice yes Okay.
2: Jesus is coming. Yep. we all waiting for
0: that day? Yeah, so we've talked about how there's a, a broad sense and a narrow sense of the day, the Lord. And uh, the narrow sense, that's when Jesus comes back and he is really going to lay down the hammer. and He's going to exercise his justice, as you said, Dean, and uh, pour out the wrath on people. And that is going to introduce the millennial kingdom. So, yeah, I guess it's all a matter of perspective, really. Yeah. All right, so uh, there is a future tribulation, the seventieth week of Daniel's prophecy, as we've talked about in Daniel nine, uh, that will occur before the second coming of Christ. This seven-year period will be a time of God wrath being poured out on the earth, a time unlike any other. We get that from uh, Matthew twenty-four. Remember, he said that uh, it's a tribulation such as has never taken place, nor will ever take place again. So it's going to be absolutely unique uh, in that regard. Adding to the teachings of Daniel and Jesus, John was used to give us more detail about what will happen on earth during the tribulation. The descriptions of this tribulation period are found in chapters 6 through 18 of Revelation. At the heart of the narrative are seals, trumpets, and bowls. So... We're going to attempt to add to the information that we got from Jesus in Matthew 24, from Daniel, and uh, we're going to look to this revelation that Jesus gave to John. So go ahead and turn with me to Revelation, and we're going to seek to give a very high overview of this book and uh, just kind of a, a summary of the way that it's laid out. It's laid out mostly chronologically and we're going to pick up on the, the aspects, particularly that touch on the tribulation and God's wrath that's going to be poured out in that great day. But before we do, um, I just want to remind us of a, a couple of uh, Proverbs. So Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? Um, that to fear God is a, a good thing, that we can have knowledge of God, that we can have wisdom of God. Uh, Psalm 119.104 says, From your precepts I get understanding. That we can understand God from his precepts, from what he has disclosed to us and given to us. And then later in verse 100 of Psalm 119, uh, the First psalmist one? 100. Oh. Yes, Psalm 119. Uh, he says, I have understanding more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. So, um, again, he has an understanding that God has given to him, that God has allowed him to have, (coughs) even above the aged, because he has listened to God's precepts. He has listened to what God has given to him. Uh, And then one more, Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not a God of confusion. So we need to remember that when we're heading into a book like the Book of Revelation, that God is not a God of confusion. Even though we might find ourselves confused when we're looking through and reading through some of these things, God had an intent, an intention in giving us these words and giving them to us in the way that He did. In fact, if we look at the first chapter of Revelation, in verse three, John starts off by saying, "Blessed is he who reads." and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So there is a blessing offered to those who read this book, to those who listen to the words of this book, a blessing that is unique to the book of Revelation, but a blessing that should let us know that it's something that was meant to be understood and, um, and applied, really. And throughout the book, we'll see several times that Jesus himself will say, he who has an ear, let him hear. So let us hear and seek to understand this book um, just a little bit. Before we really jump into, again, those chapters that are really talking about the the tribulation of God, I want to build up to that just a little bit. Uh, One of my favorite verses in not just this chapter, but the whole book is Revelation 1.8 because it speaks so highly of jesus it says i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is and who was and who is to come the almighty and you read up leading up to this and this is jesus talking the one who was who is who is to come and he's here mentioned as the almighty god which for jehovah's witnesses is a big deal they'll say that jesus was the mighty god and God the Father is the Almighty God, but this verse puts that for us. Jesus is the Almighty God, and he's the one who is bringing the words of this book. I think Often when we think about the authors of Scripture, we think about people like uh, Moses or David or uh, Paul or Peter or John, but Jesus himself here is writing to these seven churches. So we have seven epistles from our Lord himself, and that's what we read about in chapters 2 and 3, that he writes to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and chapter 3 to Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Um, again, direct words from the mouth of our Lord. In chapter 4, uh, we're not going to get into this, just looking over it. We read about the 24 elders and four creatures. And then chapter 5 is a scene that we just got done singing about in our, our practice. The song that we're going to sing today, uh, It's He Worthy, talking about how there's this, this seal that needs to be broken. So in, in, the, in the culture that John was writing in, uh, the custom was to take a, a title deed or a last will and testament, something that was preserved for somebody specific, and it was uh, meant for only them to open. And they would take it and wrap it with a seal so that only that person would be able to open it. Only that person would have the, the right, the authority to take and to open it. And so that's the kind of imagery that we get here in chapter 5, that there is uh, this, this title deed that needs to be opened. And John is looking around. He realizes that there is nobody who is able to open this. There is nobody who is worthy. There is nobody who uh, is honorable enough to take and to unopen this unknown seal, uh, this tidal need of the universe. And then it even brings John to tears. He's weeping and, and wailing, realizing that there's nobody. And then he's pointed to the, the lion. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, who is worthy to take and to open the scroll. The same one we read about in eight—who who is Jesus, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. He is worthy, and he is coming to open up the scroll and to um, reclaim the earth as his own. We're going to get into all of the, the different um, tribulation, the trials, and all the the bad things that we mentioned that are wrapped up in the day of the Lord as it's going to be poured out on history. But before we get into chapter 6, any other thoughts on or questions on that? No? I thought I saw half-hand raises. All right. Uh, MacArthur and Mayhew <coughs> say that these massive judgments are predominantly sequential and reveal escalating judgments from God against an unbelieving world and the kingdom of Antichrist. So the two important words here are sequential, that for the most part it goes in order, and then escalating. And hopefully we'll see that as we go, that uh, they're escalating not just in intensity, but uh, seems like they're in escalating in the frequency in which they, they come, that these... Uh, first seals and then trumpets in the bowl start sure. off slow and then they they build in intensity and frequency as they pour out like birth pains like birth pains like we read about in matthew 24 right like when a woman is giving birth and she has um contractions they start off slowly right and dare i say not as intense and then, <laughs> not that <way> we would know. I'd be very bold in saying that. It starts off what really I <laughs> <Yeah>. Enjoyable
1: even. <laughs> like a tickle, yeah. I'm going to get myself on in trouble. Yeah, so yeah, well, yeah.
0: On. But then they build, right? Uh, <laughs> both in intensity and in frequency. And we'll see that same thing throughout. Uh, the description of the tribulation. All right, so the first six seals. We read about the first six seals in Revelation chapter 6. We'll go ahead and read the first two verses here. Then I saw, and remember, this is John uh, writing down his vision. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four creatures saying, as with the voice of thunder, come, come, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Do we have any thoughts as to who this might be, sitting on a white horse, or what this might be representing? All right, we are in the book of Revelation. I would be slow to speak as well. Um, (laughs) Initially, for, for me, when I look at this, I think, okay, well, this must be... Good, right? Some guy on a, a white horse. Um, but he went out to conquer and to conquer, or conquering and to conquer. Um, <coughs> and I think this is the arrival of the Antichrist, right? This is a, a false peace that we see, uh, a pseudo peace that's going to quickly be uh, broken, as we see in the, the second seal, verses 3 and 4. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him.
2: So there we see
0: war, um, death within war, right? verse 5, we see the third seal being broken. When I heard the... When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pail of scales in his hands. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and a quart, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not damage the oil and the wine. So we understand this to be Famine that a quart of wheat, that's not a whole lot, right? And it's going for a denarius. And denarius was a full day's wage. So imagine working a whole day for one quart of wheat or for three quarts of barley. You will not have
2: to
0: imagine for too long. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even what we're experiencing now, gas at 6 $7 a gallon, uh, it pales in comparison to the kind of famine that we're talking about here. uh, Don't damage the the oil and the wine. I live uh, a little bit more loosely now than I did when I was first married. When I was first married, I was real tight. Um, I'm real tight right now. (laughs) Jeremy's laughing because he knows that. But when I was first married, I was super tight. Um, And when I was growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of money, so I was super tight. but these people in this day, they will definitely know what it means to, to pinch a penny, not to hurt the oil and the wine, uh, because that is what they need to sustain themselves to live. All right, uh, verses 7 and 8. Will somebody read that for us? The fourth seal. On the lamp roof of the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold,
3: a gnashing horse, and he sat on my head, the name Death. Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth
0: to kill Lord the sword and with famine with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. All right. So here we see more death, right? More pestilence, um, disease, right? Uh, just more, more bad stuff. It's just death upon death upon death. And this is only the fourth seal. Uh, verse... 9 begins with the fifth seal. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there will be given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren had been, who had, who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So here we see the, the martyrs of the church, that there's, uh, not the church, uh, um, the followers of God. Remember, by this time, the, the church had left. But there are still those who follow after God who are going to be, they're gonna be killed because of their belief in him. And then uh, beginning in verse twelve and through the end of the chapter, will somebody read about the sixth seal for us, please.
2: I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth the fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid himself in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? All right. So we see all kinds of stuff in
0: this sixth sill. We see an earthquake. We see uh, signs in the heavens, again, like we did uh, all throughout the Old Testament. when We're looking in Joel and Zechariah and, and Matthew and Luke. <clears throat> you see uh, that the sky is going to be split apart like a scroll. I think about that sometimes. When I'm looking up in the sky, it's just going to like rip apart, right? Um, and I guess the stars are going to be exposed, and our whole atmosphere, which protects us, is going to be evaporated. It's just going to be gone. Uh, that The mountains are going to be gone. Uh, again, all week I've been driving up and down the Wasatch Road, looking at the mountains, thinking, well, Enjoy those while they last, right? Because they're not going to be here forever. Um, It's just a trip to think about the the total, utter destruction that's going to take place. And once again, we're in the sixth seal and just building in. (coughs) in These are just um, birth pains that are going to grow and grow in intensity. Um, And we're going to get into the the seventh seal. The seventh seal is really going to open up. The, the seven trumpets for us coming up next. But before we get there, any thoughts or questions on the the six seals in Revelation six?
1: All right. Um, the,
3: the verse came to mind, but now I don't know where it
0: is. So I guess I can. Okay. <laughs> Maybe in a moment. All right, uh, the seventh sill. Again, this kind of opens up the, the seven trumpets. So it's kind of, um, I don't know, thinking of open up a, a file on a computer. So this file is like within uh, the other files. So the seven trumpets are wrapped up in the, the seventh seal. Here's a little preview of what we're going to get in those seven trumpets. Um, But before we get there, um, we're going to be jumping over chapter 7. So chapter 7 is talking about the the 144,000. We'll revisit that in a moment. Um, And then we'll read about the the seventh seal in chapter 8. So starting in verse 1, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, went up before God, out of the angels' hands. Then the angel took the censer, and filled it with fire of the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And so realize that all of this is coming out of um, this golden <coughs> altar, which in the Old Testament was something that was, like is mentioned here, used to uh, lift up the, the prayers of the saints. Something that would symbolize the, the mercy of God being poured out. And here it's being uh, used as a symbol of the the wrath of God that is to come. Verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire, mixture of blood. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up. And all the grass was burned up. So, uh. Make note, especially with that, that last phrase, all the grass was burned up, and then a third of the trees, uh, and a third of the earth. One third, just in that one trumpet, was taken out. The second trumpet from a second angel sounded, verse 8, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So, the first one takes out a third of the land. second one takes out a third of the sea, of the salt water, right? Um, and then, verse 10, a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers, and a third of the springs of water. The name of the star was called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So third of land, third of the salt water, now third of the fresh water also destroyed. Uh, fourth, in verse 12, the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked and I heard... An eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the resounding blast of the trumpets and of the three angels who are about to sound. And the
3: people in the air said, Woe, 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 a talking eagle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> so, exactly what this is. in that <laughs> chapter, we have the, the four, first four trumpets and then a warning at the end that. Uh, the last three are going to be even more disastrous, even more great than the first four of them, as destructive as those first four were. Now, in first or in chapter nine, rather, we read about the fifth and the sixth seals of the scorpions and the horsemen. Um, let's see. Will somebody read the the first? Uh, let's see,
3: eleven verses for us. Then the fifth angel sounded, and he saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing into battle. They had tails like scorpions and stings, And in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have, as king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And
0: in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. All right. And both Abaddon and Apollyon mean destroyer. And that's definitely what they have come to do. They've come to destroy. And so in those first four trumpets, we see that God has... Uh, really opened up heaven, and unleashed heaven on earth in all the destruction. And these last couple, it seems as if he has unleashed hell against earth in uh, allowing these scorpions, uh, who we should understand as, uh, or these locusts, who we should understand as being demonic, to ravish the earth and to... Uh, really hurt and wound men gives a specific time period for five months but not to kill them so it's just to inflict pain to um, really pour out his wrath which in one sense can also be seen as mercy to give them opportunity to repent and to turn to come back to, uh, to come to God in repentance uh, and then verse 12 says the first woe is past talking about the fifth trumpet Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. We read about the sixth uh, trumpet in the rest of the chapter. Will somebody read 13 through 19, please?
1: Then the sixth angel, angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had a trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released, so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them, and this is how I saw in the vision of the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire. Of of hyacinth and the brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. The third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceed out of their mouths. For the power of the horse horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of their works or of their hands, so as not to worship demons, and the idols of gold, and of silver, and of brass, and of stone, and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their theft.
0: All right. Can you imagine not repenting after that? Um, and I think we should understand these horsemen the same way that we understood the, the locusts that they are uh, demons of, of sorts who are coming and uh, unleashing their power on the world as allowed by God to, uh, to wreak havoc upon the world. A lot of people will try to look at these as uh, normal men who are riding on horses. I think you can kind of get yourself into some trouble when you start looking at the description of their tails and their mouth and the fire that's coming out of them and um, trying to interpret that in light of where we are in 21st century. I think it's just a lot more true to the text and the description, how John would have understood it, to understand them as being uh, demonic forces, just like with the locusts. All right. And as Mike read there at the end, um, people still were unrepentant. Despite all these mini plagues, God pouring out heaven, pouring out earth, or hell on the earth, and they've yet to repent. Uh, chapter 10 talks about seven thunders, which we don't have information on. He was, John was told not to write anything about these seven thunders. Um, we read about a little black book, but we're going to skip over all of that. Uh, first part of chapter 11, we read about the two witnesses. Uh, for now, we're going to skip over that. We're going to start by picking up in... Uh, verse 13, after the two witnesses had been taken up into heaven. Verse 13 says that in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified. And now they gave glory to the God of heaven. So that's a a pretty big point that we need to recognize. there in 1113, that these people of the great city, a city that... I think we should understand as the city of Jerusalem, they have um, now turned and given glory to the God of heaven. And then we get uh, another warning here in verse 14 that the second woe is now past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. The third woe is the seventh trumpet. And the seventh trumpet, uh, just like the The seventh seal had wrapped up within it the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet has wrapped up within it the seven bowls. So it's kind of, again, I think of it like computer files and folders that you open up one within another. Uh, Verse 15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's where we get the good part, right? Verse 16 And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants and prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. So this, like I said, um, begins the the seven bowls, but we also see the beginning of uh, the... Earthly kingdom of Christ. His kingdom is uh, proclaimed, and he uh, miss the verse, but it says somewhere in there that he, oh, in verse 17, that your great power, you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. So he is exercising his judgment and uh, establishing his kingdom. Uh, Thoughts on any of that before we move on? Again, that's a ton, but.
1: All right. Just to sum up the destruction at this
2: point, uh, less than 50% of the world's population is still on the world. Yeah.
0: Yep, yeah, you add one third to one quarter, and that's 50% right there, over 50%. Okay, so. Yeah, and the world itself looks nothing like it yeah. it does right now. Quite a different place for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to describe it. <laughs>
1: All
0: right, garments not gonna do you any good in the tribulation, right? Alright, the next few chapters, chapter 12, 13, 14, um, they kind of shift the focus a little bit and uh, look more on the the Antichrist. um, It's more of a parenthetical series. Um, We're going to pick up in chapter 16 where we read about the seven bowls that are poured out from this seventh trumpet. So the seven bowls in Revelation 16. And we'll go ahead and read the, about the first one, the first two verses. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple, saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of, wrath, of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And so it became a loathsome and malignant sword on the people who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his image. Second, verse three, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Fourth, uh, fourth verse, third bowl. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, righteous are you who are and who were O holy one. Because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So now we have talking eagles and talking altars. So, woe again, right? And then uh, the fourth angel in verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to scorch the men with fire. Uh, Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Again, just an unrepentant, blasphemous attitude in the midst of this great display of God's power and wrath being poured out on them is... uh, the very attitude that's going to be in hell, that people are going to be blaspheming God for eternity, even seeing his power, even realizing who he is, which is crazy. Uh, Verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and of his great kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds." And then, could I get somebody to read about the sixth bowl for us? Verses 12 through 16. Got it.
1: The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic, Performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called
0: Armageddon. All right. So there we see the Euphrates dried up and. Uh, more demonic activity being poured out on the world. Uh, Notice that in these bowls, um, that there's, in in the first bowl, this wrath is poured out, these painful swords are poured out on those who didn't accept Christ, but rather they received the mark of the beast. And then it's poured out on the earth itself. Um, Then we get down here to the seventh seal. And we see that the seventh angel, verse 17, poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. And so great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. We've already seen a ton of earthquakes up to this point, And this one is noted as the great and mighty earthquake, such as never been. And then uh, verse 19, the great city, the same great city that we saw uh, repent back in 1113. This great city is split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God, and to give her the cup of wine of his fierce wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Once again, mountains are going to be gone. Islands uh, are going to cease to exist. Um, great great destruction throughout all the, the tribulations, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. Um, so once again, that's quite a bit. So at this point, we need to ask ourselves, what, what is happening? What is going on here? We see that God is executing just judgment, don't we? Uh, Dean, you mentioned God's justice and his judgment and how those are good things. They're good things for those who recognize God as good. They're not good things for those who are rebelling rebellion against God, for those who are blaspheming God, are they? <coughs> we see uh, ethnic Israel is being saved. We're going to get into that here shortly. That God is not dealing with the church. There's no mention of the church in these chapters 6 through 18. We saw mention of the church in the first few chapters, and we'll see mention of the church here in uh, 19, 20, but not in these mid-chapters. This wrath is for the condemned and not for the redeemed. So uh, going back to chapter 3 and looking at this letter that Jesus had written to Philadelphia, we see in 3.10, it says, Because you have kept my word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So what is the purpose of this hour? As mentioned in this verse. test the whole world. All right. So you answered both these questions. It's to test and the whole world, right? Who is to be affected by this testing? It is uh, everybody, the whole world, all those who dwell on the earth. And then uh, compare that with what we read back in chapter 6, where they said, to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence who sits on us in his throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, who is able to stand. So it was so dreadful and terrifying. They were pleading for suicide, that the mountains would kill them and fall on them. And they were unable to escape the wrath of God.
3: And it wasn't according to those verses. They say, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, it's all in verse 16. So these, the world isn't, isn't believing these are natural disasters that are just like what has happened throughout the whole world. This is the wrath of the Lamb that the world actually recognizes. And then they still refuse to repent.
0: Yeah. It's still is, blasphemy, but yes. they don't want the wrath. Not too unsimilar from Pharaoh in the, the time of Exodus. He recognized, okay, well, this is their god, and I'm going to relinquish and I'm going to uh, let go of my power over the uh, not the Egyptians, the Israelites. But then he changed his mind and he refused to bow the knee. It's a re- really important element to recognize that the unsaved world
3: recognizes this is God's, specifically God's wrath and Jesus's wrath. This is God from the throne, the
0: wrath of the Lamb. Not just general suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, James says, believe that there is one God. Well, good, even the demons believe and shudder, but to believe and to acknowledge something is coming from God is different from repentance and um, from turning to God. Knowledge versus faith. Yes, not just uh, intellectual ascent. All right, let's look briefly at. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. And we see the gospel proclaimed here. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, um, where another angel is flying in mid heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. So here they are called to that repentance, not just to acknowledgement, but um, to, to turn to that God and to fear him and to give him glory, because they're in the midst of this tribulation. So what is the angel doing in the midst of this tribulation? He is boldly proclaiming the historic gospel, right? The eternal gospel to these people. As God's wrath is clearly seen on the earth, this angel brings the gospel of repentance to them. Uh, Proclaiming it from the skies, like people will often mock and say, well, if God would just send an angel from the skies to proclaim his truth, then I would believe. Well, these people aren't going to believe despite that. Uh, We can... Contrast that with Romans 10, 14, and 15. What does that say? Do you guys recall? How then will they believe, right? So they need to hear. They need to believe. And there needs to be somebody who's preaching, somebody who is sent. And in what respect, this is the same, that they are saved by the truth of the gospel. This is the same gospel that's going to be proclaimed to them that saves us today. But they're not going to be... Uh, hearing it from the mouth of preachers like you and me. They're going to be hearing it proclaimed from heaven from the the mouth of an angel. There is no church to send preachers. No? Yep. Missions are uh, a God thing now, right? Alrighty. Ethnic Israel is saved. There are many passages in both Testaments that speak of a future salvation of Israel. Uh, We'll just look at a few of them today. All right, uh, we're bouncing back to Revelation 7. <coughs> I told you we'd come back here and look at the 144,000. Can I get somebody to read that section for us, please? 4 through 17. Revelation 7, 4 through 17. Who's got it? All right.
2: righty. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. And from the tribe of Levi, 12,000. And from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, and from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, and from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 more. sealed.
0: How far? Uh, through the end of the chapter. Oh.
2: And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, Who are they, and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer. Nor thirst any more. No will will the sun be down on them, nor any heat for the lamb. in the center of the throne will be their Shepherd will guide them. Springs of the water of life, and the God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All right. Thank
0: you. All right. So this chapter makes clear that there will be people who come to know God during the tribulation. Um, these hundred forty-four thousand, they're still there set aside to. Proclaim this truth to them to go out, and they will be the, the missionaries to these people. And uh, there will be many who will turn to God in that day. They will come to know him. And um, as I mentioned before, I think later on in Revelation 11:13, that's likely where we see all of Israel coming to an understanding and a repentance of God. Uh, how does this text state that these people are saved? Any immediate thoughts? How are they saved? Is the the All right. Same way that everybody else is saved, right? They're saved by the blood of the lamb. It's important to know throughout any different time, any different uh, eon or age that God is working. People are always saved by the blood of Christ. All right. Uh, I got this quote here from Robert Thomas. One hundred forty-four thousand is a definite number in contrast with the indefinite number of seven nine. If it is taken symbolically, the known number in the book can be taken literally. As God reserved seven thousand in the days of Ahab in First Kings and Romans eleven four, He will reserve one hundred forty-four thousand for Himself during the future great tribulation. So that's one of the the key aspects of our our hermeneutic, our understanding of Revelation, that these numbers that are being spoken of are literal. And uh, Dean went through that process of reading those verses, five through eight, of how God set aside 12,000 from each tribe. Not just from each tribe, but 12,000 from Judah and Jacob and Issachar and Naphtali and all these different tribes uh, to specify that these are literally 12,000 people. And uh, a lot of... Colts will grab onto this 144,000, do weird things with it, and try to put themselves in there without realizing that they are literal numbers from literal literal tribes.
3: If, ever, if anyone ever does that, just ask them which
0: tribe you're from, what they're from. Yes. I'm one of the 144,000. Which tribe? Yeah. And what number out of the 12,000 of that tribe? <laughs> yeah. It's weird stuff. All right. Uh, let's turn back and look at Jeremiah 31. We should probably do that next. Yeah. All right. It's a little slow. Is it? Yeah. How slow is it? Yeah. Two, two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. OK. Uh, well, then, instead, let's look back in chapter 16 of Revelation. At the end, how um, there's that, that seventh seal. I think that it's likely that that seventh seal was not something that uh, Israel would have went through in a negative way. So, in verse 19, it says that the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. If we compare that with um, Zechariah 14, Zechariah 14 talks about how uh, Zion is going to be lifted up, and there's going to be rivers that flow out of Zion uh, to the, the north and the south that are going to be prosperous. And so, this seems to be a it seems to be a an earthquake that has a positive benefit for Israel, while it has a negative effect on the rest of the nations. The rest of the nations fell. And I think we can tie that back to Revelation eleven thirteen, where Israel gave glory to the God of heaven, where they repented, and they turned to the God of heaven. And that's why I think it's important to note that the rest of the bowls, they were poured out either on those who had received the number of the beasts or on the earth themselves. I don't think they're directed at Israel because Israel by that point had repented. And God was beginning to prepare the world for his millennium, for his reign to come by uh, splitting Israel, the great city, in this way, setting it up for this millennial reign and ridding the nation of these other evil, or ridding the world of these other evil nations. Uh, Babylon in particular, which you can read about in Chapter 17, talking about Babylon, the great poor, the great harlot. And then chapter 18, talking about how Babylon's uh, doom is contagious, how their wickedness is spread to other nations. And the the doom and the wrath that they receive from that um, is also contagious. So we'll get into that next week. That is, again, a super brief overview of Revelation. Uh, a couple things. We should remember about Revelation, it's mostly chronological, right? And it is increasing in intensity. And a large chunk of it is focused on this last week of Daniel, this day of tribulation, which is a time of Jacob's trouble, but not just for Jacob, also for the the nations of the world. All right. We will pray and spend some time in fellowship. God, we thank you for uh, saving us from your wrath, that you took your wrath upon yourself so that we might not have to endure it. God, we thank you that we are yours. And pray that we are truly indeed yours, that we would be bought with the blood of Christ, that we would be able to be called children of God because of our faith in you. God, I thank you for your righteousness, knowing that we have none of our own. God, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. take and and cleanse our hearts, set our minds upon you and uh, just be exalted in this place as we lift up your name this morning.